Imagine living in a time where six men kill themselves every day. And if we thought that's gonna happen in a hundred years, it sounds pretty gross, but it's actually now. Uh, you know, originally fake news starts as a critique of news that's considered to be inaccurate. It's become a term that's used now to dismiss any news that you don't like. And around one in seven young Australians uh, has a mental health condition. They are our most unwell generation that we've had. People don't accept the climate science. So if I think about how we're going to save the world, art enables us to move in that direction. In our last episode, we pondered a world without art. And in this episode, we hear from two people who push the boundaries in fields you wouldn't normally consider creative, accounting and IT. John McCormack is an artist and a professor of IT, which might seem an unusual combination, but he actually believes that the future of art is in human-robot collaboration. Nick McGuigan is an accountant. His highly successful artist-in-residence program in the Monash Faculty of Business and Economics combines art and accounting. Let's hear from John McCormack. I'm John McCormack. I'm the director of Sensi Lab, a research lab at Monash University, and I'm a practicing artist and computer scientist. Professor John McCormack, thanks for coming in. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay. We have Brexit, we have climate change, we have bushfires, we have COVID-19. When humanity seems to be in survival mode, why does art even matter? Well, I think it's a great question. And I think if you look around, you know, even what's happening around the world at the moment, in Italy we've seen people making music together as a way of human bonding and finding something that's really core about being human. So I think art has a role to play in times of crisis, and you've seen in things like bushfire crisis that we've seen recently. Um, there's been a whole lot of people who've come together and said, well, let's help people. Let's try and understand this at an emotional level, at a human level, rather than just at a logical or rational level. So I think art is always important. It has different roles to play at different times in human history. And depending on events, of course, when there's emergencies and urgent situations, sometimes it has to you know, take a, a more backward role. But we're all human. We're all um, we're all kind of people who need that kind of camaraderie. We need to find something common about being human. And I think art plays a really important role in going really deep in ways that other disciplines or other ways of thinking about the world don't. So, why do you think art is so good at that? At sort of helping untangle the human psyche in ways that other disciplines aren't. I think a lot of it's to do with the idea of free thinking, about not being constrained or bound by convention or by ways, you know, typical ways of doing things or questioning those ways, particularly at a societal level or social level or an individual level. So it allows a kind of free thought. And of course, because it's free, it doesn't always get it right. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's you know a, a good way to determine policy or anything like that, for example. But I think it is a good way to be able to step back and look at ourselves in a, in a way that resonates and that allows us to sort of question things that we take for granted. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of um, interesting ways that artists sort of probe society and think about society in ways that perhaps in other disciplines or people who aren't artists don't, you know, kind of consider to be normal. You mentioned the importance of free thinking, mm. which brings me to your area of expertise because mm. you're an artist mm -hmm. but you're also a professor of IT which was mm. I'm guessing is not a discipline most people would immediately think of as being all about 
no right answer and what are you what mm. does this mean to our souls and how do you combine the two that is a really interesting question it's something i've struggled with all my life um i i mean yes i work in a it faculty i have a you know phd in computer science but i have a art practice that i'm probably more well known for for that than for my computer science research although the the two are very closely connected i mean ultimately I'm curious about the world and I'm curious about ways in which humanity and technology can help us understand that. And I found that um, through a lot of uh, reading a lot of books about science that that's really helped me understand the world in, or given it a perspective. Um, but I'm not necessarily doing science for that purpose. Um, I mean, I do scientific research, but science informs the artwork that I do. But then the artwork is really a reflection on more about us as people, about you know what the way that we think, the way that we do things, the way that we consider the world. And I don't think those two are actually that incompatible. So you said that science informs the artwork you do. Mm. Does your artwork ever inform your science? Definitely, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, it's a very much a hybridised combination of two things. I have a – I mean, I, I grew up at a time, I think, that was very fortunate because – uh, we were able to, I was able to experience the Australian bush, Australian nature in a way that's perhaps impossible now. Um, and that was a seminal kind of thought for me about what is nature, where does it come from, how, does, how do people relate to it. And being able to um, understand nature from a scientific and mathematical point of view adds this whole other dimension and where computers come in is that they're fantastic machines for simulating things. So you can ask impossible questions. So, you know, earlier I said about free thought. Well, for me, they're almost the ultimate free thought machine. If you understand how they work and how to program them, you know, I mean, most people think of computers as like, oh, it's like, you know, the web and databases and all that boring stuff. But actually, for me, the power of computers is that you can ask questions that are impossible to answer with any other tool that humans have ever designed before and I think that's what makes them powerful and exciting very exciting yeah. yeah so I spent you know I spent years sort of sitting trying to work out algorithms for how things work in a way but then saying well if things didn't work the way that they currently work what if they worked in this impossible way what would happen then and of course you can get answers to that and not just sort of theoretical answers but answers that emerge on the screen that are tangible and that that really makes it fascinating about your artwork and, and how do you incorporate these these two areas or, or passions of yours? How do they mesh? So at a fundamental level, I'm interested in human creativity or creativity in general, not just in humans, but in, in the world. So where creativity comes from. So um, my personal art practice has really been a combination of trying to make computer programs that enhance a person's creativity. So that make you more creative than you could be without that tool. So of course, you know, a violinist without a violin is, is not as creative as a violinist with a violin. But I think the difference between something being a tool and something actually being a co-creator is the real point of interest. So when the machine actually starts originating ideas, it doesn't just become a tool that you play with, that you manipulate. Mm -hmm. It becomes a kind of co-creator that gives you ideas, that inspires you, that asks questions that you wouldn't have normally asked. So I, I began with um, the idea of sort of replicating nature and natural processes but in a completely abstract form 
And then more recently, of course, with the rise in artificial intelligence, have been looking at the ways that AI can actually become a kind of co-creator and make you more creative than you could be as an individual without those tools. So the AI becomes a co-collaborator. Exactly. So yep. if I write a song, I'd need mm. to credit them in the in the show notes. Yes, well, that is a good <laughs> that is a good question, and it's been you know that's a big challenge at the moment because there's a lot of music that's starting to be created with AI. Um, uh, I guess the one point that is really interesting to think about is when the co-creator is not human, because the only people that we've co-created as as kind of creative people, as artists, is usually humans. I mean, it's very rare to co-create with animals, although people yeah. have done done that. And animals are, you know, animals have intelligence, and animals are creative. Uh, but this is a completely foreign intelligence to us, and it's not like people. So that's the first thing to kind of get your head around when you are co-creating with them. And so what does authorship mean for an author or, you know, or a combination of a human author and a non-human author? And I think that's a really interesting question. There's no, there's no answer to that, definitive answer to that yet. So give us some examples of, of the things that you have come up with where AI does help ask questions to make things more creative. Is it in music? Is it in painting? Yeah, Tell us an, about the forms. Yeah, it's in a whole range of things. Um, so personally, my artwork is... Uh, largely visual art practice um, through, I mean, using computers to generate fictitious environments that could never have existed or fictitious ideas that could never have existed and trying to make them look real or feel real or sound real. Like so what, that, like another planet? Is that what you mean? Uh, kind of. So a lot of the early work I did was really inspired by Australian um, native flora. So uh, I investigated all these algorithms that actually simulated the growth and development of plants and um, it works in the same way that um, real plants work at a metaphorical level. So there's a kind of a DNA, the equivalent of a DNA. So a series of coded instructions that code for the creation of something. So rather than directly making something manually by hand or in the case of real plants, you would sort of you know plant the seed and grow them and so on. Um, this system allows you to create the digital equivalent of DNA and to evolve plants that could never have existed. So all of my early work was sort of based around this idea of evolving things that were impossible, nature that didn't exist or that couldn't exist, but yet somehow resonated with people. So most people, when they see it, they say it reminds me of something I've never seen before. Ah. It's kind of strange and yet familiar. Um, so it's just that whole thing about, you know, your, your original question about art, what is art? do it allows you to sort of propose that thing so imagine if plants were like this I mean part of it was also a kind of social and political commentary about the destruction of nature which we're you know at the moment we're destroying nature at a rate that we've never destroyed nature before as a species so um, to me that's extremely concerning and I think something that we really do need to address urgently and so part of the artwork was also to say well if you got rid of all of the real nature and we're only left with the synthetic nature would it really be an adequate replacement for the kind of emotional and almost sort of intangible phenomenological experience that we have of the natural world. And I love the historicity of you using Australian flora in particular because we know when uh, Captain Cook and his people came mm. here for the first time 200 years ago, they couldn't actually believe some of the things they were seeing. Certainly with our animals, they, no one believed the platypus was real, for example. Mm. They were confused about why do our trees keep their leaves but lose their bark, for example. It was seen as quite fantastical. So there's something, there's a sort of delicious uh, historical aspect to mm. what you're doing with your creation as well, using Australian stuff to go, 
creating something like you said. I haven't seen this before, but it seems very familiar. Mm. Well, for me, it was kind of like that when I was all these incredible, weird sort of zoological ideas were emerging on the computer. It was like being an explorer coming across this foreign landscape for the first time and trying to make sense of it and saying, well, how does this, you know, how does this work? But at a, at a level that's not natural, that's completely digital. So it adds this other dimension of thinking that perhaps for early explorers, when they're just encountering real nature, you know, it's just, it's just the sheer phenomenon of something that's so foreign and so strange. And how do you reconcile that with what you, what you know? So that was, it was a similar experience for me. You said we can use AI to help stretch humans' creativity. Yeah. Do you think there's any danger in us losing an aspect of our creativity in that if a, a machine or a robot or AI is helping us, mm. are we losing our own ability to stretch ourselves in a way? I think that's, Is there a loss with the game? There is, it, it's up to us. So, you know, a common example I use is um, something like on a digital camera these days, all of them have like smile detection. So that's a codified algorithm that someone has determined that, okay, we only want to take pictures of people when they're smiling. This is a cultural thing, right? But if you look at great photography, um, that's not necessarily about people smiling. It's, you know, so it's kind of subjugating the idea of what makes a good photograph to a machine. Mm-hmm. And that's just a very simple example. But if you take that a step further and say, well, what happens if the decision-making becomes more from the AI and it becomes culturally ingrained or someone's idea of what culturally is important in a particular, you know, it could be photography, it could be art, it could be music, it could be anything, then where does that leave us? It's really a whole lot of people in Silicon Valley, for example, deciding what constitutes culture, Mm -hmm. um, which it does have the potential to do. So, yeah, there's a danger, but it's really up to the people who write that software and, and the people who use that software to say what they want and to make it transparent about how it's making those decisions, I think. Well, at the moment, I think, you know, we're in an interesting time in human history um, where there's a big emphasis on economies, on capitalism, on sort of markets, um, uh, rationality even as well, even though that's contested. Uh, and people are often looking for some kind of meaning beyond that. And maybe traditionally they might have turned to religion for that, for example. But I think art uh, gives us the ability, you know, as I said earlier, it gives us the ability to reflect on things that the rest of society or the rest of sort of the, the structures of society perhaps don't accommodate or don't allow as part of what they do. And I think that's really important for our mental well-being and our social well-being. I think... I mean, humans are social animals. Without society, we're nothing. And so the quality of that society is is really important. And I think art has this really fantastic role to to both cement society, but also to question norms about society that might be problematic. Um, And I don't think there's anything else that does that in a way that can actually be also entertaining, enlightening, um, inspire curiosity, inspire, even if it inspires kind of... um, a kind of puzzlement or rejection if you think about well why don't I like that or why mm-hmm. can't I understand why is it that? evoking this feeling why is it evoking me? this feeling that I can't necessarily articulate that's a fantastic experience and it makes you more human mm. and I don't think any other discipline or act- human activity does that I mean you know there's obviously music is sort of often we think of music as, as separate from visual art for example but I I kind of think of these things as a continuum and I think you know um, there's no human society that doesn't have music. There's no human society that doesn't have art in terms of um, rituals that make things special. 
And it is that thing that makes special that actually really makes life worth living. John, that was so interesting. Thanks, Susan. Really interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. Nick McGuigan is an accountant who urges people to look for art where it may not obviously be. His highly successful Artist in Residence program in the Monash Faculty of Business and Economics embeds art into accounting, pushing back against the boring accountant stereotype. Hey everyone, I'm Nick McGuigan. I work as an Associate Professor of Accounting at the Monash Business School, as well as their new Director of Equity, Diversity and Social Inclusion. Nick McGuigan, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Tell me, tell me about your work. I'm curious about taking what I think are two kind of polar opposites, that is art and, and accounting. And I'm, I'm not necessarily a trained artist, but I'm interested in art. And I, I see how art can vision different futures and, and ways of, of moving us towards, I guess, more positive or optimistic futures. Things around climate change and the future. We, we, in business, we have this idea of digital disruption and technology, and it's driving us, I think, maybe towards much more of a linear, logical approach. And I think that's kind of dangerous. And so if we're going to solve major problems like climate change, art is a really useful way to vision that future for people. And what, what can they become? And that's just it. I think they can bec- there is no one way. So in accounting, we have these accounting standards and they're rigid and they're um, moving globally to position us in reporting in a particular way. And my version of the future, how I see accounting transforming again to solve these problems like climate change is much more holistic and diverse. So there won't be one way of accounting. There'll be multiple ways of accounting where accounting becomes a dialogue and a conversation, not necessarily a standard rigid product. So to me, art is, is fundamentally humanity. It's, it's a product or, or a, an outcome, a process of, of humanity. It's, it's creative and it brings those human interplays, I think, together in a, in a particular way. And so I see art being able to, to do that um, by creating experiences for people. So it's that idea of curation. You go into an exhibition and it's curated for you to feel a particular way. Of course, that can't be controlled. I'll never forget this one moment when I went to this art exhibition in Sydney. We were living in Sydney and my partner and I went to the Marina Abramovich in residence uh, exhibition in Walsh Bay. Um, And she had taken over one of the wharfs there and she kind of created this experience where you're completely, um, all technology is, is taken off you and you have earmuffs and you walk into this particular space and you go, as soon as you get there, this individual in black comes up to you and they hold your hand. And they walk you over to a particular uh, exercise that you're to do as part of her creative artwork. And so I did this exercise and it was interesting. And then I went to move away and to, to look at another exercise. And another person, a different one, but all in black, came up to me and held my hand and escorted me over to a, a row of beds, which was the, another um, exercise. And they lay me, like I got into bed and they tucked me in. And that had never happened, obviously, since I was a child. Yeah. And I thought, this is so interesting. And so I felt it was this human connection. I felt at peace or at ease. 
with humanity in some way. And I got lost, completely lost with time. So I was there for about two hours, I think. And I came out and I came out onto the harbour and my partner said to me, oh my God, thank goodness you're out. Like I've been, I, I've been waiting for you for, for ages. And he had gone into that exhibition and left within 15 minutes. From his German background, he thought it was very controlled. It was like a Nazi concentration camp. And that was the, the kind of these two polar opposites in the way they made that art made hu- us feel in particular. And that kind of transitioned us in, into really thinking about how art can shift minds and play with minds and experience in different ways. And so I saw how powerful art could be at transforming a mindset. Tell us about the Artist in Residence program at the Monash Business School. I don't think there's another business school around the world that has an artist in residence program. Is that correct? We're the only one that has an artist in residence program where we bring the artist into the business school, host them like a visiting professor for a particular period of time and ask them to make an artwork. Yeah, I was going to ask, how did the artists feel about this? Because I imagine it's a very different environment to where they would normally be working. So we offer one of the the most traditional, I guess, spaces for an artist. They, they don't normally have access to business schools. They don't have access to our staff. They don't have access to our students. They don't know. They work in these areas around e- economics, accounting and business in general. But they don't necessarily have inside access into those spaces. And we really, I wanted to create that space to have an inside access for the artist, and they, and they love it. They love being having their own office like a traditional workplace would do. And they, they're really interested and curious about learning more from us about that particular industry. But they're also very fascinated with how we think and how we behave in that industry. And so it gives them the opportunity to explore. With the Artist in Residence program you have at the Monash Business School, what were some of the outcomes or experiences that your colleagues had? How did it uh, change them? So I think part of it is that it, what we're doing, the Artists in Residence program, holds space, transdisciplinary space for our staff. And so it, it enables conversations that would never have occurred before. And with those conversations, they're able to rethink or relook at their own practice, both in teaching students, like the, the way we engage with students, and also our research methodologies. So we're able to have kind of, we're able to think about art methodologies and how they might be appropriate to be used to, to, I guess, maybe investigate business issues at much deeper levels. So the types of questions we might be asking during our interviews with uh, professionals out in practice become deeper because of this art practice. You've had two artists in residence so far at the Monash Business School. What did they create? Our first artist came from Sydney. She was a new, she's a New South Wales-based artist called Beck Conroy. Um, and she came to us with a project called Dating an Accountant. Where, and the idea was to have a conversation about how we account for or measure love. We often position accounting as very objective and scientific when really it's as subjective as art is. It is a social construction. We created it as humans for a way of organising in our particular world. So she came in and she dated six accountants. Paint us a picture. What were the dates like? Was it a meal? What did they do on the date? So the, the dates were, we hired a makeup artist. We hired a, an actor who, who waited on them. They were given a, a kind of a cheese platter, if you like, with a glass of wine. And then the waiter would bring out plates of, of food, which the food was a, a question that the artist would ask the, 
the accountant. Each of those dates were then cut short into a 10-minute block, and that became a 60-minute film. That film was then launched by our accounting professional body, so the professional body, CPA Australia, found out we had the artisan residence, and they leapt on it straight away. They printed I Love Accounting Bags for the launch. <laughs> and then we launched that to 150 business professionals in South Bank and Melbourne. Um, so that was the big launch. And then that became part of an art exhibition called Art, Labour and Working Life, and that was held in the Melbourne Docklands. And so that was open to the general public. They could watch that film at any point in time. Uh, we had radio interviews with ABC Ca- Canberra. We then took that artwork over to the US, to Europe and to the UK and presented aspects of that to, to others in our profession. And now the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales, as well as the Aspen Institute in New York are profiling that work. So that is phenomenal. And I am so intrigued by what happened with the dating accountant art practice. It's going to be hard for you to top that. I want you to know. But I'd like to hear what the second <laughs> artist in residence program was. So our second um, artist in residence program was the Accounting Comedy Club. So we wanted to use humour to poke fun at accountants in a way that might transition them into different ways of thinking. And so we turned the, we have on level eight of the business school, we have a kind of a conference venue. We turned that into an underground New York jazz bar type style event. And so we created this kind of comedy club that people would go into. And it was kind of a quite a formalized space at the beginning when they were networking. So we had, I think, about 150 to 200 people turn up. And they were networking in a, in a quite a traditional space. And then they were put into this kind of New York comedy jazz club style environment. And then we had our artist who performed a comedy show about accountants and so what she had done is she'd done preparation. She was, we actually flew her over from Copenhagen. So she was a Danish-based artist. And then that comedy show went live and that was filmed. And then that um, event was then exhibited in the, first, I think, two months ago in, in February. It was in February this year. It was exhibited at the um, Art Gallery of Fine Arts in Hamburg. Can you please invite me to your next exhibitions because they sound brilliant. Absolutely, would be more than happy. Okay, I'm to. gonna I'm gonna remind you of this. Yeah, I, yeah, I know, totally. I know where to find you now. <laughs> cool. Nick, you have been an absolute dream. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much, Susan, for having me. Much appreciated. Thanks to our guests today, John McCormack and Nick McGuigan. On the next episode, we'll be back with practical tips for finding, supporting, and embracing art in different ways and places. More information on what we discussed today can be found in the show notes.